Welcome to Wisdom 828, where we're dedicated to stamping out spiritual malnutrition one episode at a time. Hi, I'm Bob Buchanan. Spiritual transformation is an ongoing process in our lives. It's called sanctification. And we have an important part to play when temptations to sin come our way. Our temptations are tailor-made by the deceiver to draw us into sin with the promises of something satisfying. And so, what do we do when temptation comes knocking on the door of our flesh like an old lover? If we open the door to a lust or uh, say to an old grudge or a cutting remark, it depends on whether or not we're listening to the charming whispers that promise we won't be happy unless we give in to that temptation or perhaps we'll convince ourselves that we deserve this retaliation. Well, that's the moment when sin's insanity sounds so good and self-control sounds so joy-killing. Now, you've probably heard a pastor say, be killing sin before it kills you. No? Well, you just did. Now, I've wondered about this phrase and more importantly, the practical things that are necessary in order to kill sin in my own life. Now, listen. God knows our struggles. He knows the struggles that we have with temptation. In calling us to kill sin before it kills us, God never minimizes the agony of that struggle. We don't fight in the strength of our own gut determination, but we kill sin in the power of the Spirit. So let's read a text that has helped me for a long time in this struggle against sin. It may help you. It's from Titus chapter uh, two, and it says this, for the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from godly, uh, godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God, while we look forward to the hope that the wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ will be revealed. He has given us life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. Now, the word for renounce in this passage is a lot stronger than it might indicate. It means actually to reject something so vigorously that it would be like cutting off an arm uh, to rescue yourself uh, from the jaws of an animal. And Jesus said this very attitude was necessary in our fight against sin. He said, if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better to lose one of your members than to have your whole body thrown into hell. That's in Matthew chapter five. Jesus is speaking metaphorically here, but he is very serious about the eternal dangers of sin. And so let me show you a strategy that has helped me to get, get on with this business of killing sin before it kills me. It's really a four-step strategy that preaches the gospel of grace uh, to weaken and eventually kill the sin that wants to ruin our lives. And that's what we have to do, preach to ourselves the gospel to defeat sin. Now, the first step here is to say no, just simply say no in the power of the same grace that saved us. There is a t-shirt that you may have seen and it reads, not today, Satan. When temptation teases you uh, to share that juicy bit of gossip about someone whom uh, you don't mind seeing fail, grace stands at the ready to give you the power to say no. Why should a person 
as loved and as forgiven as I am, rejoice in another person's failures. When you're tempted to give in to retaliation because of someone's cutting remarks to you, before you fire back, say, no, why should I retaliate? God didn't retaliate against me when I said hurtful things to others, uh, but he was patient with me. Besides, if I take revenge, I'll overdo it anyway. Not only will I want an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I think a leg thrown in for good measure would be good too. No, I'll let God judge because he's so much better at it than me. A grace-filled no is a powerful first step. But at the same time, when we say no to sin, we have to say yes to a powerful, grace-filled way of looking at the beauty of self-control. Christian men who say no to pornography replace the disordered ugliness of those passions with the beauty of purity. Those Christians who say no to gossip say yes to the love of neighbor. Christians who say no to the love of money say yes to generosity. What we are doing here is we are replacing the temptation to sin with its opposite characteristic in Jesus and acting on our new identity. Now, I hope you see it that way. Now, this step is important because it's what fuels our faith to trust in God's goodness. David is a perfect example to imitate here. Grace teaches us to reflect on the ways that God has been kind and tender and merciful. Here's how David reminded himself of God's previous kindness and tenderness and, and the mercy that he enjoyed so that he had more strength to resist sin. It's in Psalm 77 and, and David um, says he's gonna ask himself a series of questions. Each one expects the answer no. Here's what he did. He asked himself, will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? All of these questions deserve a no answer. And that's what fed David's faith. And then he said, I will make my appeal to this, to the years of the, of the right hand of the, of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord God. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. These kinds of meditations fuel our faith in the faithfulness of the one who promises to help us in the time of need. Now, the final step here is to roll up our sleeves and put our hands to work. Everyone in Christ is redeemed for good works. And this simply means that uh, your new identity in Christ has a great significance as an instrument in his hands for helping other people get home to heaven. I recently read an article that uh, was uh, uh, written by uh, a pastor named Garrett Kell. Uh, I follow him on Twitter. And the title of his article was this, Help Someone Home to Heaven, How to Walk with the Wayward. He tells the story of two men, Richard and Andy, two Christian factory workers uh, somewhere in a West Texas town. Andy's faith is growing, but he told Richard that his drive home was like a deadly battle every day. A few miles from his house was a fork in the road, uh, and the left, the left turn led home, but the right turn took him to a strip club that had long been his place of escape. So one afternoon, Andy confessed this, this craving to go to the uh, strip club after work. 
And before Richard left, he prayed with Andy and assured him that Jesus was gonna help him with that resistance he needed. He would show up for him. Well, it was pouring rain when Andy began his drive home and approaching the fork in the road, he noticed something in the median. As the windshield wipers were brushing aside the rain, he saw Richard standing there at the fork of the road with a very huge piece of cardboard and on it was an arrow pointing home. Andy turned left toward home that day and every day ever since. And then Kel writes this, Richard is the kind of friend that we all need and should aspire to be to one another because the path of discipleship must not be journeyed alone. Perseverance is a community project. God intends each of us to protect others from apostasy. So how do we get a friend like Richard? Well, the first thing we need is a relationship with the friend who creates friends like Richard. We have such a friend who is no stranger to struggling against sin and temptation. In every way we struggle, Jesus struggled even more. Remind yourself that, that God is rich in mercy for the messy, the fallen, the broken, and the wandering people, just like you and me. His mercy for us is never forced. We don't need to try to wrench God's mercy from his hands when we need it. It's free, and it comes to us in our struggles, and he offers it. The Puritan pastor, Thomas Goodwin, put it this way, and I love this quote, God is the father of all kinds of mercies, as our hearts and, and, and the devil are the father of a variety of sins, so God is the father of a variety of mercies. There is no sin or misery, but God has a mercy for it. He has in himself a shop, a, a treasure of all sorts of mercy, mercies, divided into several promises in the scripture, which are but as so many boxes of his treasure. If your heart be hard, his mercies are tender. If your heart be dead, he has mercy to make it alive. If you're sick, he has mercy to heal you. If you are sinful, he has mercies to sanctify and cleanse you. As large as, and as various as, our, uh, as are our wants, that's how large and various are his mercies. And that's why we may come boldly to find grace and mercy to help us in time of need. A mercy for every need. All the mercies are in his own heart transplanted into several beds in the garden of his promises where they grow and he has abundance of a variety of them suited to all the variety of all the diseases of the soul. Well, that's all the time we have for now. So send in your questions or comments, even objections to us. Go to cornerstonebv.org and, and go to the media tab, click on Wisdom 828, and then scroll down to the place where you can enter a question or a comment. Thanks for joining me today, and thanks to Steve Dion as we uh, participate together in the fulfillment of the mission of Wisdom 828 to stamp out spiritual malnutrition one episode at a, at a time. Be strong and courageous in your fight to kill sin.